Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. Anna Bolnik is a former Israeli soldier who served in the Golani Unit in Israel. One of the most well-respected units in the army, they are known to be the most hardened fighters within the IDF. He's also the founder and chief instructor of the color system of Krav Maga. Krav Maga, as you no doubt know, is a self-defense technique used by the Israeli army. Aidan is teaching farmers how to protect themselves. And the story was kind of discovered by Jacques Brudrick, who's a journalist with Keknik Verslag. And Jacques joins me in the studio now and hopefully done possibly later. Uh, Jacques, welcome and thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you very much. I'm sure Idan is on his way. <laughs> Jacques, we, we, um, what is the situation of farm murders? When did they become a kind of set category of crime in South Africa? Well, farming is, um, as we know them today, probably started, um, it's always been a big problem, but in 1997, the then Minister of Safety and Security, Sidney Mofamadi, actually recognized it as being a potential threat to food security because farmers were being killed, they were quitting farming, um, generational farmers were stopping, you know, their sons weren't continuing. So he actually put in plan what they called the Rural Protection Plan. Um, and that led to the formation of what they called commandos, which were um, ex-soldiers and military units retrained for the purpose of protecting um, um, rural areas. And then, strange enough, in 2003, under the leadership of President Tom Becky, these units were disbanded. Now, um, reasons given were a bit wishy-washy, but it's mainly, it's, it's accepted commonly that they were concerned about right-wing elements in these, uh, in these units, possibly taking up arms against government. And since those units were disbanded... Were those fears founded? Um, well, I couldn't say I wasn't there, but nothing ever happened. There aren't okay. any confirmed cases that anyone tried anything. Um yeah, people were mostly upset by the fact that they, they didn't replace it with any sort of policing units or anything. Right. And since then, it became a big problem. Uh, when we're talking rural areas, are we talking specific rural areas and specific areas, or is it rural areas throughout South Africa? It's throughout South Africa. Um, farm attacks are usually uh, defined by attacks that take place either on farms or on small holdings, but it's, it's throughout the country. I mean, would you consider this a hate crime specifically, or do you, would you consider this um, opportunistic crime? That's it's definitely not an opportunistic crime. Um, these crimes are well planned, sometimes um, executed with military precision. These guys use technology. Um, recently, there was a, a farm attack where uh, the perpetrators were actually caught on CCTV camera using two-way radios to communicate. So it's definitely not an opportunistic crime. Whether it's a hate crime is fiercely debated. Um, many people say it is because of the, the overkill that you often see in farm attacks. I mean, the torture you're talking about. People being burnt with um, clothes irons, boiling water thrown down their throats. You know, it's, it's absolutely horrendous. Power drills being used to torture people. So many people would say that it is a hate crime because of that, but um, there hasn't been any really conclusive research to to prove that it actually is. If you're talking about coordinated crime, is it the same perpetrators identifying that, farm areas? That is that is being suspected. Um, certain vehicles have been seen in, in locations and then spotted in different places in the country. Um, that's only started getting attention recently because of um, security networks that private institutions have started putting up, and they've started keeping track of these things. Um, the police specifically don't even keep record of farm attacks because it's not a it's not a category of an attack; okay. it's a murder or it's an or an, okay. so that, you know they can't give you any of those answers. But but um, private institutions have been keeping track of these things, and they've started putting the dots the the dots together. So it's not just a random wake up. Let's see what we can. Find here, it's no, a lot no, it's more not, yeah. orchestrated. Yeah. I mean, I just remember because we spoke when you were last in the studio about Rhino, yeah, and that's also not a kind of a random 
thing. No, it's a no. very. Are we imagining the same kind of thing, just by different people? It's 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 you know if, different if, if motives. You, if you look at if you look at the way these guys operate, you could almost suspect that there's a syndicate, a syndicate behind it or someone organizing, funding, pulling strings, providing information. But there's no proof of that, so you can't jump to conclusions. Um, at this stage, well, what everyone I know who's, who works in this field's conclusions are just that these are gangs of criminals who've been doing this for a long time and they've become really good at it. And um, what are the numbers? Do we have? Oh, would we have numbers if they're not being separately classified? Yeah. So um, yeah, like I said, the police don't keep record of these things, unfortunately. Um, but institutions like Afri Forum, the um, lobby group or human rights group, uh, they do, as well as the Transvaal Agricultural Union, they also keep score. Now, and according to the Transvaal Agricultural Union, last year um, we had 369 farm attacks and 71 murders. So to give you an idea how bad it's become this year, this year alone already we've had 369 attacks and I think 61 murders. How did you meet up or hear about um, Itan Abalnik? Well, because I, I do a lot of work and do a lot of stories on farm attacks and, and rural issues, um, Idan kind of popped up on my Facebook feed actually one day. <laughs> I saw him there. And um, yeah, I started watching this guy's videos and I saw what he was doing and I was really impressed. I mean, how he actually went and designed a protection plan and training for farmers specifically that they can come and train under him and be better equipped to deal with these type of situations. Uh, you, I, I saw your uh report on uh, CakeNet and I thought I saw you having training as well um, Jacques, is that correct? Well, that was Idan showing me <laughs> showing me the ropes um, Yeah, luckily I, we cut that video short because it was quite embarrassing the way he threw me around there But um, Did you come out with black eyes? Uh, no, luckily <laughs> not, yeah, he's, a, he's, a, he's a gentle giant but he knows what he's doing um, Yeah, so Idan's system is very interesting it's, it's um, it obviously it kind of he should have. He should actually be the one to speak about it. But from what I understand, it, it had its roots in Krav Maga. But then he took it and he and um, he practiced it even more. Um, so it's it's much more of a of a, uh, a combat system focused on surviving. Um, and Dan would also also say that um, him and his students are not fighters; they're survivors, and that's what it's about. On that note, we're going to take a short break. And after the break, we're going to look at kind of the impact things like this can have, not only on farms, but in terms of violence in South Africa. Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. And I am talking to Jacques Broderick, who is a journalist with Kaknet Verschlag. Um, Jacques, we were talking about Krav Maga. And um, specifically, Idan Abolnik, who teaches this form of survival. Is that what he called it? Yeah, is that what I, you suppose, said? I suppose it's a, it's a yeah, hand-to-hand combat defense system, I suppose mm-hmm. is what you can call it. And it's pretty mean. It's pretty mean. You, ha- you experienced a little bit of yourself in terms of the training. Yeah. Um, what impact do you think this kind of training can have on farm murders? Have we seen any practical? I, th- I think it's, it's quite new. Um, the course that he done is rolled out now, um, but I really think it can make a major difference. Um, you know, we tend to look at look at Hollywood films and stuff and see people doing all kinds of fancy moves. That's not what it's like in reality. And anyone who's ever been mugged or attacked or held up would know that's not how it works. So, the um, done system is very very practical. It's it's brutal, but it's very effective, and it's all about just changing your mindset into 
changing the situation to your advantage. So I think it's very important, not just, not just for farmers to, to get this type mm. of training, but for everyone, especially mm. in South Africa. We know what our, mm. what our crime stats are. Um, and just to, to, you know, the, the environments under which these guys train as well. Um, while they're busy training, they'll have guys, a bunch of guys around them kicking them and screaming at them. And sometimes they'll do things where, um, people run into a simulated room with lights flashing on and off and they have to fight in there or defend themselves in that, you know. So it's, it's, it's conditioning you to a very real life practical situation, what it would be like. So it's almost simulation. What happens if, if that is the case, how, I mean, I, I don't know why I'm asking you this, but do you think that if certain situations changed, you'd still have that kind of muscle memory or whatever it is to respond to a different one? Or do you think you only in a way, being prepared for a certain kind of attack. Well, this is exactly what I asked Dan as well, you know, because farm attacks are always, they have the element of surprise. Yes. That's the one thing about them. You never see it coming. And I said to him, so, you know, you can train as much as you want to, but what do you do if you don't see it coming? Um, and he said, well, that's exactly why they train the way they do. So that you can learn to immediately go into that defense mode, that combat mode. You know, when I was there as well, I saw what the instructors did um, during training. The guys would take a break and everyone would have a sip of water. And then they would randomly just sneak up on someone having a sip of water and start choking them. And that's one of the ways that you just guys to always to kick always into that. Yeah, and the and guys would have to start defending themselves from there. So it's, it's very practical. They? they could. Well, they let's could. put it this way. They're probably a lot better after the training than they yeah. were before the training. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Because, you know, you just kind of wonder about the violence in South Africa generally. And and a lot of the things you understand is that people are unsuspecting. You know, if I had known or if I'd been aware, there's a la- maybe we walk around in a sense of innocence around us. That's I think that's a problem. I mean, well, not a problem. I suppose it's a good thing that, that the majority of people out there don't think like criminals. Mm. We we think like average day human beings, you know. Most Going people are nice people, daily. look good <laughs> hearts, you know. And the, that's why criminals will always have the advantage of us because we do not think like they. Yeah. And w- which is why it's important to to learn to think the way they do. And um, going forward, in terms of farm murders, do you think government will become more uh, involved? Do you think it's up to the farmers to protect themselves? Honestly, I think it's up to the farmers to do it themselves. There are some great initiatives and they need to get in there. There's no point in sitting around and putting your hands in there and, and waiting and hoping that government would do something. I think we've clearly seen that there's a total lack of political will to solve this problem. Um, you know, it's understandable that South Africa has got a lot of crime and, you know, it's, 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 you can't give one a preference without someone else getting upset about it. And mm-hmm. it's understandable. Um, which is why farmers are busy continually taking this into their own hands and setting up their own systems. But within the law. Within the law, of course, yes, yes. within the law. Yeah. Yes. And Jacques, just because you always come with such interesting stories, I mean, we've spoken about, as I mentioned, Rhino, and also um, the ambulance attacks, uh, I think, was actually your last interview here. What are you working on at the moment? Um, well, uh, yeah. You can't tell. I, I can't really tell you. You can at only the tell me afterwards. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. We've, we've got some things in the pipeline, um, which I'd rather not elaborate on right now. You're an investigative journalist. Um, I would say I'm a journalist who does investigations from time to time. Yeah. But in terms of politics, 
Um, you're not a political journalist in terms of watching and predicting on South African current. Well, I suppose it's part of any journalist's repertoire to certain matter. I mean, would you <laughs> it feels feel like, like you're going somewhere. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> I want to talk about um, the upcoming ANC election. Yeah. We only have one minute left, so I'm okay. not sure if now is the right time. Well, but let I just me, let me, let me I'll, I'll, I'll give you one word quickly. What, uh, what a political analyst recently told me he said we we only need to worry about the ANC elective conference in December if it actually takes place. Do you think it will? You'd have to ask President Jacob Zuma that, <laughs> and whatever he's got up his sleeve. <laughs> It's exciting times, though. And um, do you think South African civil society is more active than it has been in the past? If there's one thing that uh, the positive thing I think we can take from President Jacob Zuma's tenure is that civil society has really, really got its got grinding. I mean, people are active. There are so many civil society groups. You know, I think we must have must be one of the countries with the most civil society groups, most court cases against government officials and government. So if there's one thing that we can take away positive from, from his term as president, it's he got civil society going. I always think of Richard Poplack, who occasionally comes on the show to talk about events, and he keeps saying, what can you, you, as an ordinary South African, do to better your country? Mm. So I think we're going to leave it on that note with all the exciting things coming up. Jacques, thanks for, I know you slept literally across Joburg on a Friday afternoon, which it's isn't a pleasant. But thank you so much for coming in. Thank you, Marius. Um, so, and you, you have a, some information. I can see you're uh, about to break another story. So we'll have to wait till the next time you let me know so we can explore further. I'll definitely let you know. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Okay.